Morning, church. Kids up through fifth grade are dismissed to head to your classes now. For the rest of us, please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Just a few things mentioned before we begin. First of all, I wanted to say a huge thank you to those who were involved in uh, decorating our uh, church for Christmas. Man, every year it it looks more and more amazing, and so it looks so great. Thank you. I don't know who I'm thanking, to be honest. I don't know. It was like a little mice that came in and and did it while uh, we were all eating Thanksgiving dinner, but... uh, just did an amazing job. I do know Nicole Stilson. I don't know if she's here, but she lent her artistic talents to that big sign out front and uh, looks amazing. And she also designed our uh, sermon graphic, actually. So appreciate her uh, using her artistic ability uh, to serve our church in that way. Also, just wanted to say... Uh, and uh, for the Rock Prairie gear, uh, we are, we're, like we said, we're selling that. We're just, I want you to know we're just selling it at cost. It's not a fundraiser. We're not trying to make any money on it whatsoever. We've just had a bunch of people who asked recently, hey, are we going to be selling Rock Prairie stuff? And so we will just, however much it costs to print it, we'll just have, sell it to you for that. So, um, so we're not, not a fundraiser, but it is a good opportunity. If you're wearing it, people say, hey, what's Rock Prairie Church? And it uh, gives you an opportunity to, uh, uh, to share your faith. So uh, yeah, all right. Well, uh, in honor of uh, all the time that you've been spending with family members this week. We are going to look at the story of uh, one family member almost slaughtering another one. Um, so that's why we chose, just kidding. Are you guys with me this morning? Um, that's uh, not why we're studying this uh, passage this morning, but we are continuing in our series on the family tree of Jesus. And it is really important to learn about your family tree. So we were just in Ohio uh, with my family this week celebrating Thanksgiving, and we celebrated Christmas uh, uh, yesterday as a family. And my grandma actually gave us a really special present. She's been, for the last couple years, working on uh, writing out her life story. And so she finally got it published and printed, and so she gave us uh, her life story uh, as a Christmas present yesterday. I'm really excited to learn about uh, her and her heritage and kind of my life as a a result and why I am the way I am with some things, and uh, so really excited uh, to learn about that. It is, um, it's 400 pages, so Grandma, if you're watching, you're going to need to give me a minute to get through it, um, but I am really excited uh, to learn about that, and it's kind of why we're doing this series as well, to learn about the family tree of Jesus, right? We are... Um, the Christmas season is all about celebrating the birth of Christ. That's what it's about. But um, I think it makes it more meaningful to learn about those who came before Jesus in his line and understand who they were, how they pointed to Jesus, and then ultimately how they did not fully live up to who Christ was for us. And so that's why we're taking a look at these, the patriarchs, if you will, down the line as we prepare for the Christmas season. So last week we talked talked about the life of Abraham. It was an up and down life, right? There were times where he'd demonstrate incredible faith, and then the next moment he would uh, demonstrate incredible disobedience. And uh, this week, God puts Abraham to the test. It's a big test. He's going to ask him to sacrifice his son. And so I'm going to read the whole story. I want you to follow along in your Bibles. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering 
on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is called to this day. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided." And an angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning for Jesus, your son, your only son, whom you have not withheld from us. We pray as we look at your word this morning, this story, that you would just give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and hearts willing to be changed by your Spirit. We pray that your Spirit uh, would uh, fill this place as you indwell every believer. You make plain your word and what you want us to do as a result, Lord. We love you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a a hard story (laughs) to read, isn't it? There aren't that many stories in Scripture that make me feel like physically ill as I'm reading them, and this is, this is one of them for sure. And the thing is, we know from the very beginning, this is a test, right? God is testing Abraham, and so the author is throwing us a huge bone here uh, by uh, letting us know that uh, God doesn't actually want Abraham to sacrifice his son, uh, but he's just testing him. However, 
Abraham doesn't know that. Uh, he has no idea. In fact, uh, it's interesting. One commentator I read talked about how Abraham, he grew up uh, in Ur. So we remember we looked at last week when God called him to leave his homeland and go to another land that he would show him. The people that Abraham grew up around practiced human sacrifice. And uh, Abraham didn't have God's word yet. The law wasn't written for Abraham to know that uh, human sacrifice was uh, an abomination in the sight of God. So we don't really know. Um, uh, I mean, we know that this was, this ha Abraham had a category for this as he grew up. Um, and uh, as far as we know, um, and we'll, we'll see later on, Abraham fully expected that God wanted him to sacrifice his son. And... Uh, even though we know that this was a test, um, it is uh, really hard to read. Uh, I don't know about you, but as I read this story and as I read just the account of them slowly making their way to this mountain, with Abraham knowing the whole time, thinking what God is calling him to do, right? And then we see Isaac calling out to his dad, where's the lamb for the burnt offering, right? It's like, it's like a knife in my own heart as I read that. And uh, I just think, like, this is too much, God. Like, it, it's, it's too much. I know it's a test, but how could you ask him to do that? How could you put him through the anguish of thinking he was going to have to kill his only son and do it with his bare hands, no less? I mean, God, how could you do that? And the truth is, sometimes... God puts us through a test. I know from talking to some of you, some of you are in that place literally this morning right now saying, God, this is too much. It's too much. I can't take it anymore. Like, I can't take anything else. And just, it's the waves of, of grief have just like lapped upon you like the waves of the seashore. And I think part of the reason this story is so hard for me to read is because I know deep down I would have failed this test 100%. Jonah style, I would have failed this test, right? Like, uh, God, okay, which way is Mariah? Which, oh, you want me to head north? Okay, uh, family, we're going south. We are going in the opposite direction of where God just called me to go. I know in my heart I don't have enough faith to do what Abraham did when he obeyed the voice of the Lord here. And so to go back to this question of why this story is so difficult for me to read, I think it comes down to this, is that it reveals, as I read this story, it reveals, as God's word often does in my heart, the painful reality that my faith falls short of what God calls me to this story is a test of my own heart. It's a test of our hearts. And it forces us to ask a few questions like this. Is God good only because of what he gives me? Is God good only because of what he gives me? That's the first question this story is forcing me to ask. Is God's goodness dependent on what he gives to me? Or does his goodness go beyond his gifts to me. God says this to Abraham, look at verses 1 and 2. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
Again, we know this was a test. We know that God wasn't actually asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, but Abraham didn't know that. For all that he knew, this is what God wanted. Isaac, remember, was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and Sarah. This was a gift. If it wasn't for Yahweh, they wouldn't have a son. There's no doubt about that. Isaac was God's gift to them after many, 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 many years of praying for a son. And now God seemingly is asking for the gift back, isn't he? As some of you know, it's not something I've talked about very much, but infertility is part, a big part of the story of, of my marriage, of Emily's and my marriage. And we know what it's like to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray for a son and for the answer over and over again to be no. And, uh, and for some of you, that's maybe your story, maybe even right now as well. Maybe you've never shared that with anyone. That could be, feel profoundly lonely, as we understand. Um, you're not alone in that. We, so we know the pain of waiting. And by God's grace, we know what it's like for God to miraculously provide a son. For us, it was through adoption. Uh, for Abraham, it was when he was 100 years old. Yeah, so he's, he had to wait a little bit longer than we did. Um, and, uh, but we know a little bit of what that's like. And so for God to tell Abraham, this gift that I've given you that you've waited for your whole life, uh, I'm taking it back now. Like this is a crisis of faith. Like I said, I know I would have failed at this test 100%. So at this moment, when God says that, Abraham needs to decide in his heart. Is the God who has walked alongside me this whole time, who has made incredible promises to me and kept his promises and has given me a son, is that God still good even though he wants me to now give my son back to him? Is he good all the time or is he only good when he gives? It reminds me of Job chapter 1 verse 21, right? The Lord gave, the Lord gives, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord when he gives and when he takes away. And so for Abraham, what's the answer? Is God still good? Yes. Yes. How do we know? Because he obeyed. He trusted the Lord. Verse 3 tells us, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. This is just so matter of fact, isn't it? He doesn't argue with God. He doesn't try to bargain with him. He doesn't try to talk God out of it. He doesn't try to say, God, this doesn't make any sense. He just obeys the voice of the Lord. It is remarkable. And the reason he obeyed is because Abraham had decided in his heart that God was still good, no matter what. And my question for you this morning is this, do you believe that as well? When God blesses us, it's so easy, you know, to say God's good, and he is good when he blesses us. We can say that when the Lord gives, can we also say that when the Lord takes away? 
when the Lord provided Owen to our family in a miraculous way. Oh, we're just abounding with this, the joy and saying, God is so good to us. We need to be able to say that, not only in the time when he gave us our son, but in the waiting as well. It's painful, but God is still good. When the cancer isn't healed, but ends up being terminal, is God still good? When the prayers of a, for the salvation of a family member go unanswered, is God still good? When your hopes and dreams are dashed, when you think God's calling you to do something, you obey, and it turns out terribly, is God still good? Can you truly say in those moments, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord? See, here's the hard part. Here's the part that's just been messing with my heart all week. Because if God's goodness is dependent on the gifts he gives you, then God is no longer God. The gifts are. You see that? Let me say that again. If you elevate the gifts that God gives you to a place where God's very goodness depends on you receiving them, you're not worshiping God anymore. You're worshiping the idol of the desires of your heart. Is God only good because of what he gives you? Or is he good whether he gives or whether he takes away? Oh, man, that's, that's painful to wrestle with, isn't it? It's the first question this passage causes me to wrestle with in my heart, and it doesn't get any easier from there. Here's the second question that this passage causes me to wrestle with. Is God only trustworthy when his plan makes sense to me? Is God trustworthy? Can I trust God only when I understand what he is doing? The idea of sacrificing your child is repugnant and reprehensible. I mean, it's just, it's awful what God is asking Abraham to do. But what makes this command even more dumbfounding is that this was the child that the promises of God rested on. What was God's promise to Abraham? You all underlined it in your Bibles last week. Remember? Genesis 12, 3, that God would bless all the nations through his offspring. And then through some detours and twists and turns, God makes it very clear. We're, I'm talking about Isaac, Sarah's son, Isaac. This is the one through whom all the nations are going to be blessed. And so what God's asking Abraham to do isn't merely to sacrifice the son that they've waited for and prayed for for their whole lives, as if that was just a small thing. He's also asking Abraham to destroy the future that God has promised to him. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't compute. And yet, Abraham decides that he's still going to trust God. Look at verse 4. We see this, this incredible trust here. I'm going to read these verses from the Christian Standard Version. It comes out a little bit more clearly here. Look, starting verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and then we will come back to you. You catch that? The boy and I are going to go over there to worship, and then we will come back to you. Who did Abraham say was going to come back? Both of them. 
He and the boy, he had faith. He trusted God. He knew that the promise was through Isaac. And even though God was calling him to do something that on its face appeared to look like it went exactly against the promise of God, he believed. Now, what did Abraham think was going to happen? Uniquely, we actually have some insight into this from the author of Hebrews who tells us what Abraham was thinking. Hebrews 11, 7 through 19, it should be on your screen, yep. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So what did he think was going to happen? Abraham, going to that mountain, thought that he was going to go through with killing his son, and then God was going to raise him from the dead. Why? He didn't ask questions. (laughs) He didn't ask God why they had to go through this whole thing. But he trusted God. This is astounding faith, is it not? We're a long way from Abraham uh, pretending that uh, Sarah was his sister in Egypt. Like, there's a lot of growth that's gone on in Abraham's life here. This incredible faith. Continuing on verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And in it he took in his hand, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And, oh, these words just kill you. He said, behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Oh, man. Isaac's carrying the wood that is going to be used for his own sacrifice. He doesn't know it. Ask his dad, where's the lamb? Not knowing that he's the lamb. And Abraham's response is incredible. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. It's just absolute trust, isn't it? He doesn't have answers. He thinks God's going to raise him from the dead. but He doesn't know for sure. He doesn't know what God's going to do. But he has a complete trust in God, even though this whole thing makes no sense. And again, it makes me wonder in my heart, is God only trustworthy to me when his plan makes sense to me? When God is doing something that makes absolutely no sense, am I still going to trust him? Here we go again. If God is only trustworthy when I understand him, Guess what? He's not really God. I am. Can I say that again? If God is only trustworthy when I understand him, then he's no longer God. I am. If you can only trust God after you've okayed his plan, that means you're the boss, not him. And this is so hard because sometimes we get the privilege of looking back and saying, okay, God, I see what you were doing there when it didn't make sense at the time. Sometimes we just never do. We never get to understand it. 
But either way, we need to be okay with saying, I don't understand what you're doing here, God, but rather than questioning who you are, I'm going to question who I am, understanding that I don't have the omniscience, the all-knowing, the eternal knowledge that you do. I am not all-knowing. You are. And I'm going to believe that you are still in control, even though it doesn't necessarily make sense to me, because you are God, and I am not. You can trust him even when you don't understand what he's doing. It's the second question. Is God trustworthy when his plan makes sense to me? No, he's trustworthy all the time. Here's the third question that's on your screen. Is God worthy of worship only when it isn't costly to me? Is God worthy of worship only when it doesn't cost me? Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Man, the story is like, you can see what the narrator's doing. He's going in slow motion here. We never get this level of minute detail in these accounts in Genesis, but we do here. Lays the wood. Binds his son. Lays him on the altar. Another interesting tidbit that I learned this week as I studied was, um, see, Isaac is the one who carries the wood, so uh, he would have been actually stronger than Abraham at this point. And so uh, if he wanted to get away, he could have. I never thought about it like that before. Um, So what we actually see here is a submission of Abraham to God, and we also see a submission of Isaac to his father. It's just amazing. He binds his son, lays him on the altar, reaches out his hand, takes the knife to slaughter his son. Again, you can see this is slow motion. We feel every painstaking detail here. Hand up, ready to kill his son. And as painful as it is, we need to stop right here and process this. Again, this is a test. It's like, spoiler alert, we just read it. He's not going to go through with it. But Abraham doesn't know this. And so with the knife raised to the sky, Abraham has to answer in his heart, is a God who costs me everything worthy of my worship? Is he worth it? And you need to answer that question for yourself as well. I have kind of a strange habit sometimes of, uh, of uh, watching infomercials for longer than any person normally would. Um, it just like the cheesier, the better, right? Like I just can't get enough of these, like when it goes black and white and you see the person like reaching into the oven with like no oven mitts or something for no reason and they pull it out and they spill everything everywhere and, and then they're like, well, if they had the, you know, the special turkey pan, then they wouldn't happen. And all it takes, right, is three easy payments of nineteen ninety nine, and this turkey pan that's going to solve all your problems is going to be yours. And uh, it just, it cracks me up every time. Uh, it's always easy payments too, isn't it? Like what? I, I, just once, I'd love the announcer to be like three easy payments and just one somewhat difficult payment for you. The last one's going to be no. It's always three easy payments and um, and um, anyways, I think what we've done, sadly, in especially at least in America, is taking that infomercial culture of this thing is easy and inexpensive and it solves all your problems. 
and we've applied it to Christianity with like tragic results. Just pray this simple prayer and eternity is yours. It's not going to cost you hardly anything. Act now and we'll throw in you know, three blessings from heaven this month and, uh, and call in the next 30 minutes you get an extra set of angel wings. I don't know. You know, make it easy. And the problem is, as you might have noticed as you've studied your Bibles, specifically as you've studied the words of Jesus, this is the opposite of what Jesus taught. Have you ever read, like, we're studying Mark in men's Bible study. Another shout-out for men's Bible study. you got to join us Wednesday nights or Friday mornings. But we're studying Mark, and, like, so many times, like, we're just studied about how Jesus spoke in parables so that not many people would understand him. This is not a good evangelism strategy. Over and over again, Jesus is confronted with, in the, in the Gospels, a question. Somebody comes up to him and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what Jesus exactly does not do in that moment is bring down the lights, and play the soft twinkling of the piano music, and all right, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand if you want to follow me. No, <laughs> that's not ever what he says. He says, hate your father and mother and sister and brothers. He says, skip your dad's funeral. He says, sell everything you own. Pick up your cross, which we lose the, the weight of what he's saying. Pick up, go sit in an electric chair. Oh, you want to be my disciple? Go sit in an electric chair. He never makes it easy. Jesus was not a good salesman when it comes to Christianity. From our perspective. But what Jesus can do is he can see something that we can't, which is the heart. And he knows how people will respond when their faith starts to cost them. And if you win people with an easy Christianity, you're going to lose them when it becomes not so easy. And my biggest fear as your pastor church is that there are some of you in here even right now that think you want to follow Jesus. But the moment it starts to get costly... I'm afraid you're going to decide, never mind, this, this isn't for me. So you need to decide right now, is following Jesus worth it? Is it worth losing everything? Are you willing to do whatever he calls you to do, no matter what the cost? Oh, in church, the answer is yes. Yes, it's worth it. No matter what it costs you, it's worth it. Why? Because God already gave you everything. And that's what's been wrecking me as I've been studying this passage this week. Abraham didn't end up having to sacrifice his only son. Abraham has a knife in the air and the angel calls out and he drops a knife. He says, here I am. But God went through with it. And so as we look at this story now from the other side of the cross, and it just brings me to tears, because Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. In this story we just read, we see Isaac carrying the wood on his back, not knowing that the plan was for it to be used to put him to death. And then you see Jesus carrying the wood on his back, knowing exactly that it would be used to put him to death. We see Isaac turning to his father, oblivious to what was about to happen. 
asking, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And we see Jesus in the garden, fully aware of what was going to happen, asking the Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Perfect submission. You see, Isaac bound and laying on the altar, about to be killed at the hands of his father. And at the very last second, a replacement lamb appeared and his life was spared. And I just can't imagine, can you just imagine the gratitude and thankfulness and joy that filled Abraham's and Isaac's heart when that voice came from heaven. Then you see Jesus, hands and feet bound to the cross, about to be killed according to the will of his father. And he looks around, and there is no replacement lamb. There is no voice that comes from heaven saying, come down from the cross. Jesus is the lamb. And he looks into heaven, and he breathes his last, and he died. And if you can imagine how glorious it was for Abraham and Isaac to know that God provided the substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac, how much more for us who know that God provided us that substitutionary sacrifice, and it was his son. And if that's the case, church, if that's true, if that's what God did for me, how dare I doubt God's goodness for me if he isn't giving me the gifts that I think I need? Are you kidding me? He gave me his son. Of course I can trust him to give me good gifts. And if that's the case, how dare I think that God isn't trustworthy just because I don't understand his plan? The Son of God came to earth as a man to die for us. Who could have imagined that that was what was going to happen? And what better plan could there possibly be? Of course I can trust him even when I don't understand. And if that's the case, how dare I think that worshiping God isn't worth the cost, no matter what it is. I was reconciled to him at the cost of his son. Of course following him is worth giving up everything. God promised Abraham that someone in his family tree would bless all the nations. That person was Jesus. And none other than God himself showed us his love because he didn't withhold his son his only son, but gave him freely as a gift. Amen? As we close, I want us to read together a verse that's familiar to all of us. In light of what we've just seen in this passage with Abraham and Isaac, I want us to read together John 3.16. Let's read it. Read with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's read that one more time. Let's read it like we mean it, okay, church? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you believe that today? That God did not withhold his son, his only son, for you. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, how deep the Father's love for us, indeed. How vast beyond all measure. 
that you would give your only son to make this wretch, this faithful, greedy, not trusting, cost-counting wretch, your treasure. Why should I gain from Christ's reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. Jesus' wounds have paid my ransom. God, we praise you. We thank you. You didn't withhold your son for us. So, Lord, forgive us when we question your goodness just because you don't give us the things that we might think we need or deserve. Forgive us for when we question your plan just because we don't understand what you're doing. Forgive us when we count the cost and say it's too high. There is nothing that we have that we would not give to follow Jesus. And he demands it all. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Lord, may we be a people who deny ourselves, pick up our crosses, and follow the one who picked up his cross for us. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.